0: Hi, I'm Chris Waddell. Every week we do a QA and a with interesting and accomplished members of the adaptive community to find how they persevered, how they innovated, how they built communities, and how they found solutions. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. All right, welcome to our Wednesday Name Tags Chat Podcast today. We're joined by Tyler Carter, who... As an alias of Captain America, we will get to that. Is an ice cream lover, is a two-time Paralympian, and is now working at the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Museum in guest on the guest experience team. Can we start with that? The guest experience. So this is a recent thing because the museum just opened, right? So what's your yeah. job as a, a, on the guest experience team?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me on tonight, Chris. appreciate it. Uh, yeah, the museum is amazing. We're so excited that the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Museum is now officially open. Uh, opened you know, mid-summer. We're still open even with the craziness going on. And yeah, I'm one of the uh, supervisors on the leadership team for our guest experience side. So helping run that um, side of things, making sure every guest coming in has an amazing experience uh, you know, they get to hear the stories of our Team USA athletes. You know, it, it is home for our Olympians and Paralympians. And we just want to make sure we hold, restore, and honor all the athletes and their stories there and the artifacts that we have and all the different uh, interactive displays. And honestly, it's just an amazing place. I, every day I walk in, it's just so great and an honor to be there.
0: Now, this is an historic place, right? Because there really wasn't a museum prior to this, there was some sort of smaller kinds of museums, but not a museum that really celebrated the Olympics and the Paralympics. Obviously opening during COVID was not optimal, but what does, what's the objective of the museum? Cause it's, I mean, we've been competing for a long, long time. Is this 1896 or is it before that? I don't know that we were competing before that, but how, how is that working? we have it
1: all so we like to when you come in you obviously you get your tickets you check in you do go through a registration process where you get to Pick your favorite winter and summer sports, Olympic or Paralympic. So you get to kind of, you know, customize your own journey. And then we have our virtual Hall of Fame there. So every Hall of Famer is stored there. We have, you know, their information, their, you know, videos of them. I remember watching your video the other day. So you're you're in there. You're one that I, I point out quite often. But honestly, we, we have the Hall of Fame in our lobby atrium area, our massive LED display wall, which we can, you know, customize with different photos and images, and then our physical Hall of Fame name, like list of all the years and the inductees. And then you take the elevator up and you start at the ancient games history. So 776 BC is when they originally started. It goes until 393 AD. So we go through all that history. Then modern games were started uh, in 1896. We have all the torches there. To my knowledge, we are the only place in the world that has a full collection of every Olympic torch, which is. So insane. that's
0: from 1896, then, right? So that, that's from the modern Olympics, or?
1: So it would be 1932, uh, I believe, or Berlin, uh, when Berlin hosted the Games, because that was the first time they started the torch, or 36. Thank you, Chris. Yeah. It uh, starts with there. That is our first torch. And then it goes all the way. We have torches even from Tokyo because we had two locals go and give that um, or be part of the relay before it got postponed. So we were able to get one of the Tokyo torches as well. That is
0: super cool.
1: And yeah, it's yeah. it's just amazing. And one last thing like on that, which I know you're gonna love as well, is we have a whole case dedicated to the Paralympics, the start of the Paralympics in 1960, and then as it progressed through the years, uh, which I is one of my favorite parts of the museum.
0: So Paralympics from 1960 then, so from Rome in 1960 yeah. on the Paralympic side. I mean, not not going all the way back to Stoke, which wasn't called the Paralympics, but but that was 48, right? Right. And and correct. We even we
1: do have acknowledgement to the Stoke Mandeville games as well in 1948, um, kind of showing the history of uh, briefly because there's, you know, a lot of history, but showing how they started, how they progressed into the Paralympics. I mean, you you know, you know, the logo changed a few times of what what the symbol for the Paralympics stood for. So kind of the history of that as well. Uh, It's it's really cool like that. That's all, all I can really say. It's just amazing.
0: Awesome. Now you said that that so much of your job is is telling the story, right? What are your What are your favorite stories to tell? How are you hooking people as they're coming through the museum?
1: For sure, and and like I, I don't want to ruin everyone, of course, because because <laughs> we want we want y'all to come in and hear them firsthand. But um, beyond managing our guest experience team um, or our day to day operations. Obviously, we want to tell the stories, Uh, you know, the start of the Paralympics. I mean, you and I both have a passion for the Paralympic side, of course. Um, So just making sure they're getting the right representation. We haven't always had that. And now that we have a home, we have a place where not just for the athletes, but the Paralympics in the U.S. Paralympic movement really can be shown properly. Um, Making sure that's shown. uh, John Register has his prosthetic in there, his, his running leg from um, the Atlanta games which is one of my favorite stories talking about that Um, we have the bobsled uh, named the night train from the 2010 Vancouver Olympics which ended up being the first gold since 1948 for uh, Team USA and bobsled so for me that's another favorite also because I was watching that race on tv back in 2010 like cheering them on so seeing that bobsled there is just incredible. Um, I mean, those are two of my favorites. There's a ton more. Really, you can walk into any spot of the museum and there's history and stories to talk about.
0: But it makes it personal too, right? You said you were watching that night train sled from 2010 in Vancouver. You're watching it on television, which is cool. And you're there and you're in the moment, but to be able to touch it then, mm-hmm. it's kind of like you're really connected with that, with that history. When I got inducted into the Hall of Fame last year, I was inducted with with Tommy Smith and John Carlos, who are the guys in 1968 with with the uh, the Black Power salute. And and for me, that was so cool to be to be close to them, you know, to be included with them because they were just such an important part of history of the games. Are there are there people that you look at in the in the museum who you say? Those are the, like, I mean, Rayford Johnson just, just died. Right. So, which is, which is another one who is just absolutely amazing gold medal in the decathlon back in 1960. And, uh, and, and so are there any people that you look at and say, those are, those are the people who for me define what it means to be so Those are the people who define what it means to be a Paralympian.
1: I mean, I can't walk into a gallery without, you know, getting goosebumps of all of the athletes that have come before and really paved the way. I mean, I, I think one that really comes to mind is Trisha Zorn, like how big of a role she played in the Paralympics and how dominant she was. Um, and then Candice Cable as well. There's, you know, um, she's mentioned throughout the museum. You know, I think those two, especially really in the Paralympic movement as well, just, you know, set up set the way for us to really, you know, go through and and their success and records, I I mean, are, are incredible, but they're just two. I mean, there's so many stories, so many greats there, uh, that it's, it's, you know, hard to pick, but I know when I walk into the galleries where they're featured, I, I get the goosebumps. Like it's just, it's exciting.
0: Now you're going to have to describe a little bit. You you threw out Trisha and and Candice, so so describe who Trisha is first, and then we'll describe Candice afterwards. So do you remember? I mean, there she won a lot of medals. So so let's see if you can. Fifty-five. You
1: can, 55, 55, Fifty-five medals.
0: How many did Michael Phelps win?
1: Not fifty five. Uh, it was uh, three, 20, is
0: 28,
1: it twenty eight or twenty uh, eight? I I could be wrong. I, 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 I knew this, I should know Michael Phelps ones, but honestly, Trisha Zorn for me is my, you know, my hero, I guess, from that. So uh, I I just think she's incredible how, um, you know, she, how many games she went to and just dominated. uh, And I believe it was like 50 gold out of that 55 or, or something very similar to that. Um, it, It was a, highest one of the highest number of golds highest number of medals for any team usa athlete which is just insane like h- how do
0: you do that <laughs> 50 of 55 i think you're right on that and michael phelps actually was 23 gold and 28 total
1: okay so 28 so, total so yeah so i was 28, You 28, were right 20, on 20
0: 23
1: gold so yeah
0: and we're we're used to kind of the uh, the Mark Spitz right mm-hmm. back when he won when he won seven prior to to Phelps winning eight and he had all of the medals around his neck and if you look at if you look at Trisha and you go how do you put fifty five medals around your neck that's just a ton and she was a swimmer mm-hmm. as well was narrow, just missed uh, making the Olympic team making a couple mm-hmm. of Olympic teams yeah uh, but and there have been numerous. Uh, Natalie uh, Natalie Dutois? was that her name uh, from from South Africa? Actually, competed in both the Olympics oh, and in the Paralympics in swimming. She was an open open water swimmer in the Olympics and then competed in a variety of, of events in the, in the Paralympics. But so Trisha, 55 medals, mm-hmm. we're, we're thinking and, and, and I haven't, I, I can probably uh, Google that as well, but, but 55 medals and you think 50 of them were gold, which is, which is amazing. Now you mentioned Candice Cable as well. I actually talked to Candice today <laughs> and trying to get her, her on this thing. So we'll get her on as Well, so this will be a great introduction to who Candice is.
1: Yeah, I I mean, so my funny, like, personal story with Candace is I remember talking with her over when I was at the games, like she was, she was there doing some media stuff. and, And I was talking with her there. And we were just kind of sharing stories about, you know, her time and my time. And, you know, I don't I don't know if she remembers that or not. She talked to a lot of athletes during her time there. But the fact that, you know, she did she was so long in the sport, you know, Alpine, she did some Nordic skiing, I believe uh, did summer as well. And it's, I'm just like, I, I mean, I'm looking at Laddit, All right. You know, I'm hopefully we'll have one more go at the games. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens after Beijing, but I'm like, you know, three times, I, th- I think that will be, be a, a good stretch for me, but just seeing how long and how dominant, you know, Candace was and Trisha and and all these greats before it's, it's really impressive. and, and you know, every day I walk in, again, it, it's hard to not be motivated and, you know, just want to share these stories with the whole world.
0: It really is. And I remember Candice was on the Alpine team when I first mm-hmm. started. And and at my first camp, you're staying in the hotel and it's cold out. So you go to the pool in between and go go warm up a little bit. And I saw Candace in her swimsuit, and she was one of the top road racers. She was a Boston Marathon winner and, and track athlete as well. And I saw her and went, wow, she is way, way, way stronger than I am. And uh, so she did uh, she, road racing and track. She did alpine skiing. She did Nordic skiing. I mm-hmm. think, and I'd have to check, I, I have not done the research, but it's at least, I want to say it's close to 10 games something like I think, that, that I might, right. might be twelve
1: it's at yeah it's I think it's at least ten um I just remember we were we were doing a walkthrough yesterday um I just went in to kind of check on a few things and um, there's a quote of her on the wall and her games and I just remember looking at at the games and I was like my goodness that's impressive i I just it's it's amazing and that and that's that's what we're we're doing there we're sharing the stories we're Honoring the athletes, I mean, it's home. It's home for, for all of us, for the Olympians, for the Paralympians, for the fans of the games, anyone that watches them. But having a place, you know, as we mentioned at the beginning, that this is the first place we've had that is home, that we can really call that and will always be there for us.
0: It's a big deal. It's a, and it's big to for people to be able to see that, to be part of that history. I think that so many of us grow up watching the olympics on television and getting to feel the getting to to know those people feel like we get to know them and but but to be able to go and celebrate and read some more and know things that learn things that we wouldn't have known otherwise does it change like telling the story of the olympians and the paralympians you're still current you're still you've competed in two games competed in sochi competed in pyeongchang and and have had some injury problems we'll talk about that in a second but does that change what you want to do, being close to all these stories, being close to all this history? I,
1: you know what? Um, it's a, I can't say enough. It's a really special place. And I, I didn't think I'd be in this role, honestly, if everything didn't happen the way it did this year with, you know, lockdowns and, and kind of events getting uh, canceled. I probably would still be training at the training center. I'd be part-time. Maybe I'd be working at the museum like, you know, once or twice a week kind of role. I would not have been in this position to be able to share these stories, to be able to, you know, really take that step and um, bring the athlete perspective, but kind of the way things worked out and opportunities presented themselves. And I kind of stepped right into it and I love it. I mean, I'm, I'm really happy at the museum and I I think it's going to be a place I'll be for, for a good while. And uh, assuming that they still want me there for, for a while, but um, once I, you know, whenever I retire, whenever that happens to be um, I'd love to kind of continue building out that process and, you know, making sure that the athletes voices are heard or at least heard in the museum and we can do whatever possible to make sure that they're um, honored and the legacies that may are you know, stay there and we can share them with every guest that walks in and especially making sure that everyone knows about the Paralympics because that has not always been the case. So, you know, everyone thinks about the Olympics, but making sure that the Paralympics have that equality, which the museum has done an amazing job of. It truly is equal. The only place you'll see separation is the very first gallery where the Paralympics didn't happen in 776 BC. You know, they didn't happen in 1896. So that is the only place where there is separation between the two. Otherwise, everything is equally combined and integrated together, which, um, you know, really is a testament to how far we've come. And obviously there's still always work to do, but it is good progress for for us in the movement.
0: It is, and it's interesting. So so the Paralympics, as what was the precursor to the Paralympics started in 1948. So you mentioned... Mm-hmm. Berlin in '36, there was there were twelve years in between Berlin and London in '48, and the Paralympics literally means parallel to the Olympics. Mm-hmm. It started the Stoke Mandeville Games started on the same day that the Olympics started in London, so it's about an hour's drive, I think, from from London to Stoke Mandeville. And then you said you know, with Rome in 1960, I believe that that. Uh, Seoul in 88 was the first time, that, that was, was the start of the first venue, right? So, yep. so then since then, the Paralympics and Olympics have been at the same host city, competed in the same venues, and it's just two weeks after the Olympics end. Now, is this something, you, you studied communications, is this, is this kind of a dream job? And part of the reason I asked that is we actually had Amanda McGrory on here. Yeah. <laughs> who is the archivist there and she said this is exactly what i wanted to do like this is this is my dream job and and one of the things like this this talk comes out of our school presentations mm-hmm. and i often tell the kids that the greatest risk you take is taking no risk at all mm-hmm. that if we just kind of follow the straight and narrow we might miss something that's really important to you to you and professionally is this something that was a dream job for you or is this something that kind of opened your eyes to, hey, wow, this sort of captures all of what I do or is it something else?
1: I think this is um, absolutely A job I love. Um, It's very close to a dream job. I think this is the building block, the kind of stepping stone that will get me to that dream job. But honestly, I can't complain at all. I mean, being able to work there, being able with the team we have, we have a phenomenal team, uh, you know, every day walking into that to the museum, there's there's no complaints, even if the day, you know, everything's going wrong. It just it's such an incredible place with so much history that um, and I get are these stories, like I get to walk in and talk to guests, share stories, make sure that the athletes are being represented properly like i, I can 't really ask for much more, um, and as we grow and build um, i i can 't wait to see what it turns into. Um, I love speaking, I love talking i just uh, had three uh, school virtual presentations this morning before this. So for me, like being able to have another venue, another opportunity to do it um, is it's pretty darn close to to what a dream job could be.
0: Is this also an extension of what you do as a Paralympic athlete?
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, being able to come in with kind of that knowledge of being a Paralympic athlete, you know, having gone to the games, knowing what it's like to be an athlete and experience that um, has really helped. It's helped the team. I I believe it's been able to, you know, put my own twist on things, but it it is just an extension. It's, you know, what I've already been doing on my own, but now I get to come in and and do it at this brand spanking new, you know, shiny building, which um, you know, that it's, uh, it's an architectural uh, you know, amazingness, piece of, you know, I, I don't even know how to describe it. It's, it's just an amazing design. It's one of a kind. You're not going to see anything else like it out there. Um, and, you know, we were just talking yesterday about the uh, designers, the architects of it, and how that firm is one of the top five ones in the world that are sought after. And the fact that we got them to come to Colorado Springs and design this museum for us, like, how cool is that?
0: And what did they do particularly well in the design? So
1: one really cool thing is that the outside is shaped as a discus thrower or the spot. it has a spiral of it, which is designed after a discus thrower. And one other feature that to me makes this one of the, you know, stands us apart from anywhere else is that it is completely, not just completely accessible, but it's universally designed so that you take an elevator up to the top and it's all a spiral ramp down. So there are no steps in the journey. Every guest can have the same experience, the same, you know, um, time and walk through. There's no separation, you know, for having to go down steps or whatever. And we have different features to accommodate any, anyone that has, whether it's a disability or whether they have some kind of impairment or just, you know, need, need something a little extra. We have those options there for the guests so that everyone can enjoy their experience and, you know, still have a great time. No matter if they're walking, if they're in a wheelchair, if they can't, can't see or can't hear well, it, it doesn't matter.
0: Wow. Now, does anybody comment on that? Do they, do they get it? Or are you telling them that it's the same experience for everybody or, or are they commenting on it or do they not even notice it?
1: Um, it varies. We've definitely got comments. We've gotten a lot of, you know, positive feedback on, uh, you know, those features. We're always looking to improve and advance. And, you know, we got it ready to be open, but there's always work to do. Um, sometimes we, we tell guests because they don't even notice or like, hey, why, why is it, you know, an elevator up or why is it all ramps? And we go into it and we talk about it, but we've gotten a lot of positive feedback from the adaptive community. Um, I don't want to speak as a whole for them, for every guest that has come in, but from what I've heard, um, everyone's having a, an amazing time. They're enjoying their experience. And again, you know, the fact that it's a spiral down, you know, it's a journey, it's a pathway, it's a you know, navigated story so that you, know, you start from the top, you go to the bottom – and we do our best to make it the best, you know, an amazing experience for each guest, whatever, whatever we have to do to adapt or, or change, we'll do that. But for the most part, the museum takes care of itself.
0: Wow! Now, you are still competing. Mm-hmm. And, and you're competing part time. You're still training at Winter Park. Is that right?
1: Yes. So the plan is to be up there, um, four days of the week and then down at the museum three days. And then I I do have some, some work I sometimes do when when I'm off at the slopes because the museum doesn't, doesn't really close. So that means I can't really, you know, totally check out, but, um, trying to find a good balance of it. And I've it's so far it's been going well, it's still early in the season, but you know, we're, we're going to make the most of it and, and see what happens.
0: It is. We were talking before we came online about how difficult the schedule is with regard to COVID right now. What are your hopes? How are you looking at the season, and what are your what are your goals?
1: Yeah, I mean, this season I feel like it's changing like every week or every day. I, I mean, we were supposed to have World Champs in uh, February over um, in Europe, and that was postponed until next season. Uh, our first races of the year were supposed to be in the next week or so that's been postponed till february so each you know each day or each week it's kind of something new so my focus has shifted from you know really trying to attend as many races as possible and really kind of hunt for those points to taking the season, taking the time to make sure we're we're getting the fundamentals back, make, making sure we're, we're focusing on the kind of nitty gritty little components that you need, you know, as you know, for skiing, all those, those little things that you always feel like you don't have enough time for once the season starts, taking this extra time that we, we kind of have, even though it was a bit of a slow start and making the most of it. I mean, if I don't get to many races, but I get a lot of good training in, I think that's a win. I mean, we'll still have some time there. You know, I I don't want things to be all pushed back until next season and have to like last minute, make sure all the qualifications are there, but having a little extra time. And especially since the last few seasons, I've, they've been kind of cut half in different ways for me that, you know, I'm, I'm not complaining about a little extra time on snow and a little time to focus on the basics so that I can be prepared for, you know, hopefully Beijing in 2022.
0: So Beijing is the goal, the ultimate goal. And you have to take the steps, which is really not all that far away. Right. So, so that's what it's, it's like 15 months or something like that away.
1: (laughs) It's a little closer than, you know, each day I, I kind of look at the calendar, like, Oh wow, it's, it's closer than I, than I think. But um, uh, you know what, it's, you got to take it day by day, you know, week by week and season by season. So I, I know it's there. I know it's not that far away, but it's in it's in the back of my mind but I can't focus too much on it cuz I have to be here in the present and really focus on where I'm at and making sure I'm getting ready and and going through the process instead of kind of having my head in the clouds and and totally set on you know what's going to happen then obviously you know that is the goal that is my focus I'm preparing for that but I have to make sure right now that I'm I'm doing what I need to in the present time so it's it's a it's a good balancing act as I'm sure you know uh, you remember and know as you know being an athlete like it you you know you have your head and you have your vision set in the future but your head and you, know, you got to be here in the present as well
0: well you're only going to be able to compete well if you're in the present and that is the biggest challenge for athletes and for all of us as individuals is to be <laughs> in the moment are you healthy because there have been some health issues in the past right
1: yeah. Um, I, I would say I'm as healthy as I can be. Um, I, you know, this just everything going on. I'm a little uh, strength wise. I wish I was a little stronger. I can't complain. I made the most of my time. And I feel like that's the athlete side of me. Like, man, I, I wish I was a little stronger. I wish I was a little, you know, more prepared, but I, I, I did what I could. And and yes, I'm, I'm healthy. I'm, I'm ready to go. The last couple of years have not been, been the easiest, but that's part of being an athlete and we're, you know, still got a smile on my face and, you know, I'm, I'm ready to rip, rip and, and rip, go down the hill.
0: We've all had to be creative during this period of time. So you're talking about, you wish you were stronger. What have you done with your training that what, what's been different about your training than in the past?
1: I, I got a real late start to kind of the the physical fitness work, you know, that dry land training. Um, thankfully I was able to, um, my dad and I were able to build a squat rack when I was in Pennsylvania, uh, with my family, just kind of waiting out some of this before I came back to Colorado. Um, we were able to acquire some weights. We already had some, so, um, it was kind of like June where I was able to really start hitting the weights again. And, and then I came back to the Springs and gyms were kind of open, kind of not so kind of had a little bit of a a period where i could only do outside workouts you know so like agility ladder type work you know all body weight stuff which was fine but obviously do need some heavier plates some heavier work just to build that strength up um but i really just feel like you know as i'm sure nearly every athlete can say right now is that this just with everything going on wasn't able to get in the routine i normally do so i just I feel less prepared than I normally am. In fact, I'm probably, I'm probably right where I need to be, but it's just that kind of perfectionist side of me, that, that side that always wants to push a little more, uh, be a little stronger, uh, keep, keep, you know, building towards that goal that I'm, you know, I'm never happy in uh, until I'm like, you know, all the way at the top, I guess.
0: Right. Which is what you have to do, but you're also building back from injury. Mm-hmm. Do you feel, did you have to do additional work to get back from the injury in order to get back to where you thought you were before?
1: Yes, I did. Um, two years ago, I had a knee injury, which um, I had a hamstring and, and PCL strain, and while well, I got it checked out and there wasn't really much we could do besides let it heal. Um, it really did set things back. And then I re-injured my PCL when I tried to come back for national. So I had to get that taken care of. So, and is this that- on your
0: good leg or is this on your, your amputated leg? Cause you're an uh, LW4, which means you're a below the knee amputee.
1: So- correct. Yeah. It was my amputated leg. So my um, prosthetic side, um, which in some way, yes, yeah, good that my, you know, full limb, you know, my good leg was still healthy, but on the flip side, um, every time I went to wear my prosthesis, my, you know, fake leg, it it just, it was painful every, so my ski leg, my walking leg, it just really extended that healing process. Um, and then re-aggravating things at nationals two years ago, just was kind of the, the, you know, unfortunate side effect of just fighting to get back. So, I came back, or I, I took time off. Really got healthy. Had had it taken care of. You know, docs, doc, you know, kind of looked at it and made sure I was healthy. Came back strongest I, I was ever in my life. And then, right as you know, all this craziness with coronavirus was hitting, uh, I had had some issues pop up where my leg wasn't fitting properly, and basically. Um, really messed up my knee as well. That same knee, so the you know really doing double damage to that. And in sh- long story short, I couldn't wear my leg for about three months. So I went about three months without wearing my prosthetic.
0: Wow! So that totally changes your whole dynamic. Mm-hmm. What coming back from injury is something that that athletes have to do. There's the physical side of it, mm-hmm. but then there's the mental side of it. And it sounds like you had challenges with i thought i was getting better i was as strong as i've ever been and then you start going backwards how were you able to handle the mental side and are you stronger now or yes working on that
1: (laughs) the mental game is very important and i'd say right now i'm i'm in a really good mental spot um it i wouldn't say I've been that way, you know. It, it it was a long process to get here, but I'd, I definitely have been able to strengthen that and rebuild that. And, and physically, I'm, I'm strong, but really mentally, I'm I've I've been able to kind of repair and restructure some of that. But um, it was hard. Like I'm I'm not gonna lie. Like um, after that, and you know, having that issue with my my leg, and then another issue with my leg, and then not being able to wear my prosthetic and just, you know, going into lockdown, not being able to be in Colorado Springs, not uh, training at the training center or giving tours there, which is what I did before I started working at the museum. It just, it felt like everything was kind of taken away. And I just, I mean, I I had to take some time and be with my family and really, I checked out for a little bit. I kind of relaxed. I stopped being an athlete for for a month or so and, and just really, took that opportunity to recharge, to get away from everything. And then once, once I could start wearing my leg again and, you know, we were healed up, I was like, okay, you know, this is it. It's, it's now time to get back on, get back on the horse or get back on the skis. And, you know, we're, we're, we're back in work mode. And, and it's been that way since the summer or since I, I came back out here and I can't say it's always been, you know, smooth sailing, but it's, it's been a balancing act, but I'm, I definitely have learned a lot and have learned time management uh, between work and training and, and taking care of myself. And we're, we're in a good spot from that. It, it was a hard learning experience, but it, it, it's good.
0: It was. One of the things that we do with our program is we have what, it, what we call our four S's of resilience. And they're questions that we can ask ourselves when things go wrong. And the one that you're talking about is support. And it's really easy to feel alone when you're in the midst of all of these things? You said that you connected with your family. Is that the support that you go to? Or what is your support when something's difficult for you?
1: Yeah, I'd say they're probably one of the the top ones. They're, they're my strongest support system. Uh, once upon a time, they were the financial support, but now they're the, you know, emotional support. They're the, you know, if I'm having a bad day, I can call my mom or my dad and you know, let them, let them know what's going on. And, you know, they might not say anything or they might say a lot of stuff or let's be honest. They might say, get your, you know, head back on right and and get your butt out there and and do what you're supposed to do. But that's what you need to hear sometimes. And um, I've been really lucky to have them as a a strong support base. And I built a really good um, group of friends around here as well from the museum. There's been a, a few coworkers that I've really been able to connect with and the, the crazy thing is they're not athletes themselves. They're, they're, you know, they found the role as, as something to do and, and we've bonded just over the museum and they're, I could honestly say they are some of my best friends in the world and um, they've now kind of taken that role. Cause I, I can't go back to Pennsylvania right now. I mean, I'm not, you know, I, I could, if I really wanted to, but I don't, I want to protect them. I want to protect myself. And um, I'm not really looking to travel unless it's absolutely necessary at this point in time. Uh, so having some friends here, having some, some people that understand uh, it's, it's really
0: important. Do the people who work with you at the museum, do they understand the athlete side of what you're going through? Is what you're going through unique? Is it different than what other people go through?
1: You know, it's funny. (laughs) That's a really good question, Chris. (laughs) Um, You know, it's funny because it is very different, I think, than what, you know, non-athletes go through, or or, or just anyone, you know, being an athlete just has its own little twist. But at the same time, there are similarities to what everyone goes through in life. Um, So I think they're able to find enough connection with that to be able to provide support, or honestly, just be a a listening post. Sometimes that's what you need, or just someone to, you know, at the end of the night, just, you know, talk to, um, you know, about nothing related to work or to the athletic world, and just you know, watch something else. Um, you know, I, I found that to be really beneficial because you said alone earlier, you know, about feeling alone or lonely. And I I think that's such an athlete thing, um, especially individual sports and not, not everyone's that way, but I mean, myself, you know, between the long hours working, the long hours training, going to the gym, you know, making sure you're prepared, getting good food in you. It's just, there's not a lot of free time for hanging out with friends. And I think that's what I've learned the most is trying to make some of that time, really trying to find those people that it doesn't feel like it's a hassle or work to hang out with. And I could just go over and, you know, even if it's for half an hour, uh, I always joke, take my leg off because that's the equivalent of taking the shoes off, take my leg off, you know, and just hang out for a little bit and just forget about whatever's going on in the world. And then when it's time to come back, I'm back and leaves are focused.
0: Beijing would be your third games, right? Correct. Do you, when did the, the dream to be a Paralympian start?
1: Really good question. Um, and and I can tell you exactly, it started in 2010. It's funny because we talked about the bobsled story earlier right after the Olympics, I had a scholarship to go watch the Vancouver Paralympics. So I got to go spectate to see the opening ceremonies, see all the different events, part of the uh, Paralympic experience um, movement through the U.S. um, OC at that time. And going there and sitting in the opening ceremonies, watching all the athletes come in, but specifically Team USA, that is where that spark ignited. And I was like, you know, I don't know if it's possible. I know it's not gonna be easy but I absolutely want to be a part of this. And, you know, I have four years to get ready for Sochi and I'm going to do everything I can to make that happen. So that night opening ceremonies, the dream was born. And from then on skiing went from being a hobby. It was still something I love to do, but it wasn't just a recreation thing anymore. It was now my life. It was, you know, everything I had went into it and how is that going to get me on the team?
0: That's that's one of those. I mean, it's obvious you're working at the at the museum. I'm sort of getting the getting the goosebumps as you're talking about it. Because so <laughs> that, that's that is what this stuff's about, though, isn't it? I mean, it really is about that. The the most spectacular of human experiences and putting yourself out there. How much skiing had you done prior to going to Vancouver?
1: I started skiing when I was eight. Um, In Vancouver, I was 16, so I I had a bit of skiing, and I had started getting into the race side component, um, training with the National Sports Center for the Disabled out of Winter Park, Colorado. They kind of brought me into their fold when I was 10, so after two years of going to a learn to ski camp through the Pennsylvania Center for Adapted Sports, uh, they pulled me out to Winter Park, and I started progressing with them. Um, I had attended it was just
0: like camps you 're not full time with winter park
1: correct, correct camps
0: uh, you're still in school, hopefully too yes,
1: right? yeah, no, absolutely. it wasn't until I got out of high school that I started full time coming out here. I definitely education is important um, as much as I, I as I joked about taking educational trips from uh, Pennsylvania to Colorado. It, it really was an important part of the process, but I would come out usually. A week before a race or you know if if the timing worked two weeks before get some training in and then go with with the winter park team to the races Um, i attended the hartford ski spectacular through um, what was then disabled sports usa now of course it's move united but um, they were a huge part of getting me into it and all this led to vancouver to me having that experience that moment and realizing that's what i wanted to do but until i was there in the stadium watching one, I didn't think it was possible, but two, I didn't have that desire. I knew it was a possibility, but it didn't. that desire wasn't born until
0: that night. That's interesting because you were able to train at Winter Park with a fair number of athletes who were going to the Paralympics. So you saw them on a personal basis. You, you saw them as individuals, and then it was the moment in the stadium where you said, this is real. So what? what is that? Is that the feeling in the stadium or what, what was the thing that grabbed you? I mean, I think
1: the feeling in the stadium, you, you definitely can't um, push that off to the side. Like that is, you know, there's no other feeling like that. I mean, being a spectator is, is exciting. And then when you actually get to march in and walk, that's a whole nother thing. So just that feeling of spectating it. And I think the other component is, seeing those teammates those friends you know athletes that i looked up to that i had trained with seeing them walking in and being part of that it made it real it wasn't this whole lofty thing i mean i knew it was still going to be a difficult journey and and there was no easy path but it wasn't like totally out there you know way over my head i was like okay like i've been around these guys i've raced these guys already and yeah, i'm very far off their pace but I, i can get there i can you know, I can devote to this and maybe maybe get close within striking distance. And that's when, I, when it really became realistic and um, tangible. That's really like when it all came together.
0: So that's an interesting combination, right? Because you see like the grand stage of the pomp and circumstance of the opening ceremonies and go, wow, this is bigger than I'd imagined. But then you see the personal side and go, okay, well, I know that guy and I know he's faster than I am, but at least I know him. And it almost makes it sort of real to say, okay, I I might be able to get there. What do you have to do now to get back there again?
1: (laughs) Oh man, another great question. Um, You know, honestly, what it comes down to is I need to stay healthy that's first and foremost my one of my most important focuses right now um, between gym work, nutrition, but really just taking care of myself, uh, the physical side, but also the mental side. I'm in a great spot right now. I want to maintain that. So I don't really want to slip on that. So keep you know, doing what I'm doing, staying on that path. Two, obviously just need some more time on snow. The past two seasons, I, I don't think I even had a season, a full season between them. I think it was maybe like, you know, a little over half of the season in the last two, two years. So I just, I need time on snow. I need to get those um, ski legs back, you know, get get the rust off. Um, but it's just, I, I, know, I know we can get back there. I'm, I'm, I have full confidence in that. I just now have to um, come back to that. You know, we, we're, you know, not that far out. And this next stretch is probably going to be the hardest push I've had in my life. And, um, I'm, you know, I, I want to say I'm ready for that, but whether I'm ready or not, it's here and this is go time. This is where I need to put down to the grindstone, get ready and, um, kind of hang on for dear life. And, uh, you know, when we get there, I'll look back and be like, all right, it's time to go. Let's, let's do this.
0: One of our other S's and our four S's is, is strategies. So you said, you said, I need to be healthy. What are your strategies mm-hmm. to be healthy? What's your plan?
1: Absolutely. Look, um, that great point, great question. Uh, I love the strategy component. Uh, first and foremost, I have a wide range of exercises um, you know, that I've, I've acquired from. Uh, physical therapists that are critical to this, just making sure I'm staying strong. So as much as I, I love to go to the gym and, and lift and, you know, really push myself in that component, this um, kind of simple, but, you know, important first stepping stone of using resistance bands, doing the really kind of boring work. That is the first part of my strategy for staying healthy. Two is, you know, in the same way of strategy, being strategic on how much I train, what days I train. I mean, I was up in winter park the other day and we had quite a bit of fresh snow and, and they were trying to figure out if they could train or not. And I did one slip run and I'm going to be like, okay, it's first thing in the season. This is a little deep for what I would prefer. I'm not trying to be lazy, but I'm going to be honest. The risk right here is too much versus what the reward's going to be. And it's funny because I ended up pulling three runs after that, but I, I took that first run and I was like, you know, this is just not worth it. And it's not something that I've really done before in my life, but I'm going to have to make more decisions like that just because I, I, I know I'm healthy now, but I also know that, um, you know, damage was done and I, I have to make sure that I'm, I'm staying, staying on point with this.
0: Well, this is part of it too, is taking the responsibility for your health, taking the responsibility for your performance, and being able to make good decisions, which is it's easy enough to follow the crowd and sometimes making those proactive decisions is is a bigger deci- is, is a bigger a bigger you know question in your own mind. So specifically to get onto the team, are there things that you're looking at because you have to be healthy? You have to have the foundation, but then I'm assuming you have to have certain results in order to qualify for the team. Do you know what the selection is yet, selection criteria?
1: So for Beijing, not totally sure how many spots we're going to have, what that selection process is going to be like. Going off of previous, you know, the last two games, um, I'm already in a decent position where I am. Obviously, I'd like to secure a little better results and just really make sure I'm locked in, but we'll know more once we know how many spots we get and not having world champs this year. I don't know how that affects the equation because I believe world champs and performance there and you know, how you did in the last games, they, they all come together to figure out that quota. I'm going to be honest. I don't really know all that. And in a way, I, I don't really need to know that until it's time. Right now, if I just stay focused on myself and what I need to do, um, that's the best plan of approach. Because if I'm worrying about stuff outside of my control, well, that's energy wasted. So I need to stay focused on what I can control, the parameters that are within my realm, and the rest will figure itself out.
0: Sounds like you've been doing a little bit of sports psychology uh, in your in your
1: <laughs> ramping
0: up as well. Control what you can control, don't control what you can't control. Is that a component of, of your training?
1: Absolutely. Um, I do work with a sports psychologist. Um, it's mostly on a when I need basis, but we do have a kind of a reoccurring, um, you know, just check in. But um, I've I've like to say I've learned a few things over the years, most of them through um, trial and error and from, you know, making mistakes. Um, some of it, you know, I've learned the hard way but I've picked up a few things and I've kind of figured out what, what I need and you know, what, like how much rest time do I need? How much training time do I need? You know, do I need to check in with my sports psych every week or can I get away with a month? I've kind of been able to dial that in and really figure out what is best for myself and, and uh, listen to my body and my mind. I think that's what it comes down to. And I think, you know, all of, athletes that are able to figure that out are the ones whether it's total success on the podium or not they will have success in their careers and journeys at some point
0: is there anything that you do on a daily basis to prepare yourself mentally for that particular day but also for the big day which might be months down the road or might be more than a year away are there any particular steps that you take on a daily basis uh i'm a
1: big fan of meditation i i I think meditation is really important Um, even if it's just a short little session um breathing exercises i found critical to what i need to do um, even if it's just as simple as you know six breaths in four breaths out or there's different combinations you can do of that which have different results but just being able to relax yourself for the day Uh, i always like to get up um i wouldn't say i'm a morning person But I also tend to wake up earlier than I, you know, early anyway. That's just kind of how my my mind gets going, and and when it when my mind's going, it's time to go. So getting up, doing a little meditation, and just some some breaths in in the body, and just focusing the mind. And it's funny because I was talking about goal setting and perseverance and decision making with these classrooms earlier today, and. You know, when we're talking about goal setting, something that I've always used and has worked for me is writing down my goals in a journal or on a piece of paper, putting up on a wall. Once you have it physically written down, it's out there in the universe and you can't forget about it. I mean, well, you can try, but if it's there on a piece of paper, you can see it every single day. And for me, that has been a huge part of it. Even if it's as simple as, you know, go out and have a positive day or don't forget to smile like just little things like that. And at the end of the day, I mean, I, I hope everyone does it. the is like this, but I ski because I love it. I really enjoy it. I go, I go to the museum because, well, one, I get a paycheck, but two, I really do love working there. I love telling the stories. So for me, even on those hard days, even when training's kind of you know crummy or I, I don't feel the best, remembering that, remembering why I do this, why I'm in this area um, and, remembering the joy of it, that usually is the catalyst for staying on point with all this.
0: Is that easy enough for you to do, to remember in those moments? Because it gets hard, right? I mean, as everything everything's going wrong, you've, you hurt, you're bloody, you know, whatever. And, and can you remember why you're doing it in those moments when it's most difficult? And do you have any kind of a any kind of a, you know, a strategy or an assist that helps you remember when it's most critical?
1: It's, it's not a perfect practice. And I, I even forget sometimes, but over time with experience, I've been able to figure out those cues that helped me remember that and stay focused. And there was a long period of time where I wrote down on a piece of paper, some of those goals and had it like in my pocket. So I, I, if I'm riding the chair left I'd, you know, have in my pocket, remember to smile, remember to have fun. Now I can just put it on my cell phone because you know, that's a little easier and I, I don't lose that as, as easily as much as a piece of paper, but just, Having said it to myself enough.
0: Now do you have the handwritten? Do you hand write it and then take a photo on your cell phone or do you type it into yourself? I I type
1: it in. I I don't actually um take a photo of the note. I actually type it into my notes. And that's because I have so many photos I'll just get lost in the in the madness of that. But it could be your
0: screensaver, right? It could be your screensaver. Okay. And at which point then it's, then it's obvious to anybody else when your phone rings or you get a text or something, people like, Hey, Tyler, what's that like? I mean, you're right. And
1: that is a great idea. I'm going to be honest. My screensaver is Captain America. So I don't really want to replace that. Um, And also it does play into that role. I look at Captain America and I'm like, what would Cap do? And I'm like, Oh, okay. He, he would, he would suck it up and do this. Or he's like, you know what? He would, he would make sure that he goes out and takes care of others or, you know what, maybe even Captain America would take an off day here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, you hope to put USA on your chest again. You've transitioned into Captain America. What is that? What What do those two things mean? And are they the same thing? The, the love of Captain America and, and getting to wear USA, which is a huge honor.
1: I, I mean, I definitely think there's a good relation between the two. Everyone always asks why Captain America. And and the short version is I really like what he stands for. And I know, you know, he's a fictional character, but I grew up reading comics. I love the movies when they came out. Um, You know, life hasn't always been easy. Everyone's has challenges and that's, you know, I'm no exception and I'm not trying to like, you know, start some, you know, story on that, but you know, there was some bullying going on when I was younger and just learning to live as an amputee, you know, it, it is, it is different. Having a disability, you just some things you have to do differently. And I always found Captain America as that shining light. He always did the right thing, standing up for others, being, you know, someone that, you know, really wants to help out the world and be a positive influence. And I've kind of grown into that where that's just what I want to do. I mean, I want to go to another games. I I'm enjoying being an athlete. I'm not quite ready to be done. And, you know, I love my work with the museum and it's, given me a role to do this, but I just want to go out and make the world a more positive place. And if I can help someone, if I can help them have a better day, be a role model or whatever it is, that's what I want to do. And I feel like Captain America lives up to that. So having read comics on him, having watched the movies, it just, it kind of grew into the thing where I was like, well, I really love Captain America. So why don't I just pretend I'm Captain America, but I have one leg. So I'm the one legged Captain America.
0: So you have it as a screensaver. <laughs> You have yes. a sticker on your, on your prosthetic, is that it's right? It's
1: actually designed right into it, so designed uh, it, right was, into- it was okay. laminated like, uh, it was actually, I, everyone always thinks that it was painted, I wish it was, but it was actually an old t-shirt that uh, my prosthetist put on and laminated on my legs so that it, you know, just, it's always on there, it's a reminder, and I'm actually wearing a Captain America sock right now too, so.
0: Captain America sock. You have Captain America shirts as well. T-shirt. Of course. Yes. And a hat. C- can't forget the hat. <laughs> and, and is this your built in go to Halloween costume?
1: Yes, absolutely. I have a jacket as well that a friend gave me uh, once upon a time. So it's like a leather jacket. It's not his traditional style, but it, it is a Captain America jacket. So.
0: Now does Captain America know about this? Know about your infatuation with him? <laughs>
1: I, I, I don't know. I, I I hope so. But I have no idea. I I just hope I'm doing him justice. That, that's, that's all I, I hope, you know, I, you know, he, he does his thing. I do mine. Um, I'm just like him, but I'm, I've got one leg or one and a half legs. So, you know, hopefully he's okay with that. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, I don't know. I feel like we might have to see if we can reach out to Captain America. <laughs> and close this loop. But then there's another part of the loop to close in that you're looking up to Captain America. But if you had anybody come to you and say, you're the hero that I'm looking up to.
1: I've had a few occasions and, um, or, you know, maybe more than a few. Um, You know, I, I'm just trying to do what I can, Um, follow my dreams, but help others follow theirs. And Uh, for me giving back to the community, working with, uh, there's a, there's been a pretty long list of nonprofits I've worked with over the years. I've kind of condensed that a little bit just for my time and, and to be fair to everyone, I don't want to ever, you know, be too out, too stretched out or not give enough of my time, but, uh, through the groups I've worked with, I've, I've had a few, you know, been able to have a couple special moments and that's great. I love it. It's not why I do it, but it, it definitely is a nice feeling for me. Um, whether I, you know, you get a thank you or someone tells you that they're that you're their hero, that's it's nice. But it's not it's not why I do it. It's not why I think you know anyone should do it. And um, you know, I hope to continue in that role and, and being you know a shining light or or someone some that people can look up to, just showing that you can really accomplish anything you want in life. You just have to set your mind to it. And that's, that's what I want to do. Like, I, I want to show that, you know, if you're an amputee and you want to ski, you can do that. If you want to pretend to be a superhero, you can do that too. I mean, it, it really is the, the sky's the limit. And uh, if you can just make the world a better place, then why shouldn't we?
0: Is that is that why you do it? And, and what is what is your role? It's hard to define what your role is sometimes, isn't it? What do you see yeah. it as?
1: Yeah, I feel like it's ever shifting. I mean, sometimes I'm, you know, an advocate for living a healthy, active lifestyle. There's the ski side of me that, you know, is trying to pave the way there. And sometimes they overlap. There's the public speaking side of me that goes to schools or companies that, you know, just wants to share my story. So I agree. I, I mean, it's hard to define it. it, There's so many roles and I think that's the exciting thing because every day is a little different. Every day has its new opportunities or challenges and um, it's, it's never the same. And, you know, being able to just go out and and be myself like who I am right now, that's me. I'm the, the nerdy guy that loves Captain America that eats too much ice cream but wants to make the world a better place and is still skiing and, and trying to figure his way through being an athlete while also, you know, trying to be a role model for others. That that's me. Like, you know, what you see is what you get. And, and I just want others to hopefully be comfortable with themselves and, and their own journey and, and understand that they can do anything. They can do it all. When you, cause
0: you're, I mean, you're still young. You're still mid twenties. You've been through <laughs> games you're, you're giving a lot back to the community. When you look back on your life, do you ever think about this? Like when you look back on your life, what do you want to have done? What's your, what's your sort of higher purpose? Do you, do you have a sense of, of what that is? Is that something that's driving you?
1: Yeah, it's definitely comes across my mind. Um, You know, I, I've thought about it sometimes, like how, how would I like to be remembered? And, I would just hope that I'm remembered as, you know, kind of all those things. But at the end of the day, even if I didn't get any recognition, even if, you know, everyone forgot my name, but I knew that I impacted someone, that I, you know, helped someone better their life or helped them find joy and you know was a role model to them, or whatever avenue it was, maybe inspired them to pursue their dreams, then that's a win for me. If I as much as, you know, I'm going to do everything, in my power to make this next team. And I'm going to do my darndest to win a medal. If I never accomplish that, but I can change someone's life, then that's a win in its own. And I feel like that's maybe like not quite the athlete side of me talking there, because that is a little, you know, there, I don't know that every athlete would agree with that statement I just said and don't get me wrong I'm going to do everything I can to to win those medals or, or maybe maybe I'm incorrect in saying this but it's just that um, I think it's way more important to be to be good to people to be positive to try to make the world a better place and really just look out for each other and however that stands whatever comes out of it well that's okay I, I can live with that as long as I know that there was some good that came out of this
0: well, you're also. I mean, I'd, cont- I'd make a contention just on your your athlete statement there that as an athlete, you're putting out an example, right? That you're that you're showing up every day, that you're committed to to your goals, you're committed to the process, you're committed to to, to doing as well as you can, without necessarily saying yes. I mean, hopefully there is a medal in your future, but not necessarily saying the expectation is that if I win a medal, then I'm successful. I mean, it sounds like you're looking at more of of a process driven kind of approach, which, you know, I mean, I don't have any children, but for people who do have children, I imagine it's the thing that you're teaching your children is that you want to be as prepared as you can for that moment. And the hope is that you perform in that moment that you perform exactly the way that you'd prepare. You know, that's, that's it, the way you envision it in your mind. And, and this, this makes you sound like you're really pure, but you do, you do have one vice, at least one vice that I know of, which, which is ice cream. Do you call it a vice or, is, or, or, or do you not call it a vice? What's your quote uh, what's your, what's to your ice cream?
1: Some have said that ice cream, that I'm addicted to ice cream. And my response is that I could stop anytime I want. I just don't want to stop. Um, but, um, anything with chocolate is my go-to ice cream. Uh, we were chatting earlier. I have two rules. One is a hard rule. One is just kind of like a personal preference, personal preference. I don't do mint, no mint with ice cream. If you're a mint chocolate chip fan, good on you. You keep it all. I don't want to touch it. But my hard rule is no fruit. I don't think fruit should be involved in ice cream. I, uh, I, I just, I prefer mine more, uh, you know, I'll eat vanilla if I have to, but chocolate is where it's at. Um, and, and I, you know what? I always make the joke that I'm a downhill skier, so I need it. I need the extra, you know, weight, the momentum going down the Hill. It hasn't convinced any of the nutritionists or dietitians I've worked with yet, but I'm still trying.
0: (laughs) You're going to get the right one. What's in your freezer right now? Uh, extreme
1: chocolate mousse tracks. And then I think I have a little bit left of chocolate fudge brownie, um, signature select and Ben and Jerry's, um, Ben and Jerry's is not going to last long though. I don't get it often. So this is its third day, which is pretty long for me. Um, normally it's gone in two, one or two days. So.
0: So is Ben and Jerry's like a, like a treat for you? This is when you, when you go and splurge.
1: Yeah, you could say that it's, it, you know, every once in a while you need a little, a little extra, a little, you know, you know, more, uh, I don't know, higher quality, uh, uh, I think the problem with Ben and Jerry's is, is that they come in smaller containers. So I just eat it very quickly. So that's why I usually go for the bulk size. Uh, the cause it lasts, size. It, it lasts, you know, five days instead of two days.
0: <laughs> Did you do anything, anything particularly outstanding to earn chocolate, ch- chocolate, ch- uh, fudge brownie? Um,
1: let's see. It's been a busy week for me. So I, I kind of took, took it on myself that, you know, I had good training sessions. I made it to the gym. I even made it to work on some days that I, I wasn't intending to, that I was going to be an off day, but it was like, oh, I'm going to do some work. So I, I was kind of looking at it. Hey, you know what, you've, you've done well so far this week. And, and again, talking about that mental game, sometimes I just, you just need a treat. You just need to treat yourself.
0: Well you need to reward yourself as well, right? I mean you said that that some of the reminders for you are to remember to enjoy what you're doing, to have a smile on your face. And part of that is yes, let's let's have a reward. It's not breaking training too much, right? This is a this is a yes. slight break in training. I don't think it's going to affect you, but but it's going to affect you probably mentally as well mm. to feel like hey, we're celebrating. We're celebrating. We're not celebrating the absolute end of the road which sometimes is the way that we want to look at this i'm going to be pure i'm going to be ascetic until i get to the end of the road but if you celebrate a little bit along the way and say hey this was a good week i did i did a really good job it helps you move into that next week so i think it sounds like a really mature way (laughs) to approach it but this has been tyler this has been absolutely phenomenal thank you so much for joining us for sharing your story both of your work in the museum, but your work as an athlete, and then also, you know, being Captain America to, to some, of the other, some of the other people who are coming up. Uh, it's, you know, thank you so much. It's been absolutely great. Really appreciate you joining us and wish you all the luck in your season, in this crazy season, and in your approach to Beijing. So thanks a ton.
1: Thank you, Chris. It was an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: It was awesome. And for those of you who watched it or those of you didn't get to see the whole thing, you can go to the One Revolution page. This will be housed on the One Revolution page and it lives there in perpetuity. And we will also eventually have this on YouTube as a podcast so people can watch it, they can listen to it. Please follow us on Instagram, One Revolution on Instagram, at One Revolution on Facebook and we will continue to hopefully get some get some updates from Tyler and be able to follow him throughout the season. So Tyler, great luck and thank you for joining us and keep working hard. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Appreciate it.